Father, thank you for this day and for this new year. We love you and we thank you for loving us and making our access to you a real thing. Our relationship with you the main thing. Thank you that we are known by you and you are helping us to know you. That our names are written in the book of life and will not be blotted out. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I had a dream one time, and I've told you probably about it. It's in my book, but I was walking across a, a familiar courtyard in the place where I lived as a boy in uh, some apartments and with Jesus. He was taking me home. We were walking together, and I had a impression that there was someone, as if somebody was watching, I turned and over my left shoulder, there was a, a group of people. And they were looking at us longingly. And I had that, that sincere feeling like Jesus talks about in the Gospels where he saw the people and he loved them. And he had sympathy for them. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And that's what I, that's what I felt. He caused me to feel. And I turned to him and looked at him as if, what about them? You know, Aren't they going with us? And what's going to happen to them? And he didn't say anything. He didn't have to. I knew what he was, the point he was making because I was trying to get out of preaching at the time when he came to me in this dream and I was asking him if it was really necessary for me to do this. After all, there's so many others. And his impression of me was, if you don't, they won't. And it was easy after that. And I knew that that was my reasonable service. And I'm going to go through life anyway. Why not try to fulfill his plan for it? (laughs) You know, he wrote out a plan. Now, whether we... We complete any of those days he wrote for us is up to us. Their graveyard is full of people that never did. So, the journey continued to learn his ways and to be able to teach others that. I see a desire in the hearts of, uh, of, of many that I know. Honestly, probably all of you sitting here, I've seen a lot of, you're all different for sure, but there's a, there's a desire in there, each of you for that very same thing, to know him, to be close to him, and, and not only that, to be, but to be able to share him with others. I sense that from each and every one of you, and I've seen it, you know, and, and through most of you, through different different ways either by the spirit or or uh, by speaking to you and knowing you Jesus talks about this life though this this choice in Matthew 7 don't go there but I'm just mentioning about the two houses that were built you remember 
One guy builds the house on the sand, and when the storms of life come, that home is washed away. The other guy builds a house too. They both built, they both struggled, they both had to do the work, but the other one built on the rock. And his house was unshakable. And we know that rock is Jesus. I told you the story about that big building in San Francisco. Tavon and I saw on one of those news shows. She watches 60 Minutes or something a while back. Big skyscraper in San Francisco. It was proclaimed to be the one of the greatest architectural designs of all time, you know. Very tall. People paid millions just to have a little apartment in there, you know. And that thing is leaning. <laughs> these guys that live up there, these these fellows live together. They rolled a marble across their floor and it rolled back to them. <laughs> they sold and they took a huge loss to to sell that thing. But they say that they went 80 feet in the ground to make it strong, you know, when they built it. And they paid millions and the, the people are going to end up, their taxes are going to end up bailing this thing out, which is, which is sad, really. But they determined that the problem was that they didn't go deep enough. Deep enough. They didn't go to the rock, the bedrock. That would have fixed everything. But so 80 feet is 80 feet, but it was still in the sand. <laughs> and it needed to go to the rock. So to fix it, they're going to have to go all the way to the rock. And now, of course, it costs a lot more to do that after the fact. In John six twenty eight, they they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires People always want to know that. Jesus answered. It was cool. He said this is the work of God. That you believe in him. Whom he has sent. Believing. Is what the Lord desires of us. And it has to be the root. Of all of our actions. And deeds. Our lives. Believing is not just saying a prayer, you know. There's a scripture that kind of clarifies this. It's one of the most, it's the most I would say, the most um, sarcastic scripture in the Bible. The brother of Jesus, James, said, you believe that there is one God good. So does the devil. <laughs> and he trembles. In other words, he not only believes, he, he fears the Lord. But in other words, that wasn't enough. So that kind of believing that he exists and who, who he is. I would say that there are millions upon millions of Christians in that very category. It's easy to like Jesus. It's hard to be his follower. And I think there's a he has a lot of fans. Not too many fanatics like this. It would be here five o'clock on a Sunday 
with just this handful. But the proper actions, you know, just doing the right thing without faith as the motivator, it's just religion, just legalism. If we're just basing our our inheritance on our actions, we're in trouble. I mean, there are people in the Middle East that pray a lot more than us. Proper believing based on faith will produce all the desired works inside and out. And God is looking on the inside. It's talked about all through the Bible. Remember when I I did that extensive uh, message about, about Balaam. We talked about Balaam. That's how God taught me about motives through Balaam's life. He told Balaam to do something. Then when he went and did it, he was mad at him and sent an angel to kill him. And I thought that was strange. <laughs> And I, had, I said, Lord, I can't move on until you teach me what, why you did that. And he showed me it was his heart that was dirty. It didn't matter what his actions were. He saw his heart. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, it says Hebrews eleven six, And without love, motivating that faith... It still profits us nothing. We can do, 1 Corinthians 13 says, we can do everything good. It lists out a bunch of stuff. And ends up even giving my body to be burned at the altar. So that's how extreme he lists all these good things we could do. He said, but if, it, if love is not the motivating factor, it profits me nothing. Only faith really matters, expressing itself through love. That's what it teaches again in Galatians 5 6. One of the. For 2018, I kept asking the Lord, you know, everybody's got a word. Every preacher always has a word. And I never have liked to do that because I can go and. I mean, unless he really tells me something. Um, because I see these preachers and every year it's the same things, you know. Oh, he's going to prosper you and it's about this and it's about that. And it's always the same words. I've heard them over and over, year after year. And that's that's good, you know, because a lot of the truth about God's word doesn't change. And if you want to just grab onto something and make it about the new year, that, maybe that'll help some people. So I'm not against anyone. I'm just saying, I don't say God said anything unless I hear him say it to me to tell but he kept he kept putting a lot of peas in my in my mind, and so if if I had something, I would say that he's telling me, and so probably you, because generally what what I'm feeding on is what he tells me to feed you guys. What's blessing me, it will bless you. And so he told me for 2018, you need to persist. There's one in prayer with patience to. Persevere and prosper. <laughs> Five P's. <laughs> I said, okay, I like that. <clears throat> and I think that's a good word. 
And it has a lot to do with what... Everything with the Word, with the Lord, is all... It's a big circle, you know? I have a chapter in my book about that, too. One of these days, I'm going to mention something, and you guys are going to say, yeah, that's, that's in your book. That's when I'll know you read it. <laughs> but there's a theme in the Bible of following Jesus. Following Jesus. And it, it appears throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels. 24 times in the book of Matthew, it's, it's listed, following Jesus. It suggests a lot more, just like I'm saying here, than physical proximity. You know, it's talking about the relationship that I go on about all the time between Jesus and yourself and others. In the book of Mark, he discusses following Jesus 15 times, and he has a very short gospel. And it connects to his emphasis on discipleship, which is something that I emphasize all the time. In Mark 3.14, it says that Jesus appointed the twelve to be with him. That is to engage in his daily instruction and interaction and to follow wherever he went for three and a half years. He wanted the allegiance of his followers in exchange for giving them instruction for life and daily provision. Right? Isn't that what he did? They followed him and he taught them. Gave them instructions. The words of God about life for themselves and to teach others. He was entrusting them with everything. The church when he left. And he provided for them while he was with them. There was Simon and Andrew and Levi. There was a multitude of Galileans that they talk about in, in Mark's gospel. Large crowds he provided for. There were disciples. Blind Bartimaeus. This is some of the ones we've talked about. A certain woman. Remember? With the issue of blood. They all followed Jesus. After Mark established this theme of following Jesus. He records a story about Peter. And it signifies a, a little bit of a shift in this theme. For three years, a little over three years, Peter had followed Jesus everywhere he went. He talked big. I'll do anything. I'll kill for you. I'll die with you. And he would have. But in Mark 14, verse 54, right after Jesus was arrested, we see that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Remember that? Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest where they took him for this mock trial. And there he sat with the guards and warmed his hands by the fire just like following Jesus involves more than just physical proximity following Jesus at a distance 
involves more than just physical detachment. Right? In an effort to be safe from the things that were happening around him, Peter had done the most dangerous thing imaginable by permitting distance in his relationship with Jesus. That distance left him vulnerable to the enemy. Just like losing sight of somebody you're following in a car in a busy city where you don't know where you're going. You lose sight of the one that loses his that, that knows his way, then you're not going to know your way. It's about that simple. And, and, it's, and it's about how quickly it happened for Peter. He lost sight of the one who he was following, who knew the way. And it t- didn't take but a few minutes for Peter to drift quickly off course. The very next time that he appears in the text, he denies Jesus three times. I think it's significant that Mark mentioned following Jesus all those times, and so did Matthew. And then all this one particular time, at a distance. You and I, we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, right? Not physically, but relationally. We know Him. We're friends with Him. We follow Him. And Jesus still requires our allegiance in exchange for this life-giving instruction for teaching us and guiding us and giving us daily provision, just like the disciples then. Wouldn't you say? He wants our fellowship and we agree to follow where he leads. That's the deal. (laughs) It's a relationship. It's a two-way street. I talk about it continually because you can't get there by somebody else's relationship. You know? And just like Peter, we may be following the right person at the wrong distance. And I think that's, that's the situation many times. And the distance between us and Jesus makes us vulnerable just like it did Peter. It leaves room for sin. It disrupts fellowship, among other things. I keep getting a picture of if there's someone you're trying to protect... Maybe a child. Maybe uh, maybe you're in a, a place with a bunch of young boys and you have a 14-year-old girl, daughter. <laughs> you don't allow a lot of distance between you, do you? In a busy shopping mall, you and a little child. Why? That distance encourages the enemy to fill that gap. Doesn't it? You ever seen somebody who's wanting to, just a, like a young girl, for instance, and you're there, and you're her guardian or whatever, and these boys are wanting to talk to her, just for instance, they're looking, they're watching to see if there's an opportunity, a space. If you get far enough away, what are you going to see? Hey, hey. <laughs> and if there's a predator, 
For those little children. That's why mama's got eyes everywhere. You know? Hey, hey, get over here. Get over here. Why? Because the devil is alive and active. Roaming around like a roaring lion, seeming, seeking whom he may devour. It's the same way with us. We're little children in God's eyes. We're his. And he wants us to, to be there, to be protected, to be provided for, to learn and grow. But just like with that teenage girl, you can't do it all. If they're going to be bad, they're going to be bad. You can do a heck of a lot to help them, to prevent that, to teach them and grow them right and all that. But if they're going to do something, they're going to do it. There will be opportunity in that relationship between you and them for them to break the trust, right? Same with us and God. Sin can enter in. What what creates, what would you say, creates the distance between us and God? Some of the things. One is fear. Fear is a big one. Fear of being associated with Jesus. We prefer, it's called the fear of man, actually. We prefer the approval of man more than the approval of God. And this is something you can turn on and off. You know? In a setting like this, nothing to hinder you from praising God and lifting holy hands and thanking Him. And because everybody here is like-minded. But we know you walk out this door and it's not that way out there. And it's becoming more and more so. Thank God we can say Merry Christmas again. But that doesn't change the fact that you go to all the big box stores and you it's harder and harder to find a nativity set to put in your yard. Harder and harder to go to a register and say Merry Christmas and not be corrected by the teenager working there. Happy holidays. Okay. It just is what it is. The world doesn't know you. And doesn't like you because it didn't know or like him. And you're his light. The devil knows it and he hates you because of it. Because you have something that he'll never have again. Fellowship with God. That he enjoyed once and had it made. He'll never have that again. Just like that teenager who might be embarrassed to shop with her parents. So she keeps distance. Till she wants something. Hey, hey, daddy, daddy. Mama, grandma. <laughs> All of a sudden it's, hey, hey. <laughs> I still get that. <laughs> They're all grown. <laughs> Another thing is sin. Regular old sin. 
It puts a barrier between us and God. Why? Because God turns off His affection for us when we sin? No, that's what religion teaches. That's why people run from God instead of to Him when they got problems. The truth is, it's us that's changed by sin. The weight of unconfessed sin prevents us from keeping pace with Jesus. It causes us to be ashamed and not to seek Him out because we're our conscience is, is giving us trouble. The answer to this is just go run straight to Him. He already knows. Matter of fact, He already died and paid for that sin. And He would love, love nothing more than for you to bring it up and let Him love you and forgive you and encourage you through it and put it behind you. Amen. Not to be picked up again. And just being busy is my biggest problem. This is where I struggle, you know. I work uh, I work more than one job and and I get to do this. But you know, you add it all up, it's it's a lot. And so, you know, it's fine. It's hard not to get to a place where you say, Lord, I just don't have time to do. Whoops, wait a minute. So then you have to go back to the throne room and you have to say, Lord, what am I doing that you didn't ask me to do? Because you created time. You gave me enough of it to do everything that you called me to do. Where did I get off? And usually it's in the beginning. He wants the first fruits, doesn't he? When we, get a, when we get a paycheck, he doesn't want us to pay all our bills and see if we have enough left to tithe. No, he wants the first fruits, the best. Because there's faith required to do that. It's the same with our time. Everything's in seed form. He just uses money. He talks about it a lot because it's something we really care about. <laughs> but time is in seed form too. And I guarantee you, the times when I find that I don't have enough time, it's because I didn't sow the first part of my time in that day to God. Because He is a God of what? Multiplication. He will take that seed, whatever it is that you give Him in seed form, and He'll multiply that seed back to you. In other words, what I'm saying is when I find that I, I didn't have time and that's, that's my excuse for not praying or spending time with Him because I had too many other things to do and I still didn't get them done. The times when I go to Him knowing that I'm, I have a lot on my plate already and I spend time with Him first thing like I should, somehow all those things that I didn't already have enough time to do, I had more than enough time to do. With time left over for just whatever. That's how God works. And He's the one that causes those things. He's the one that redeems the time and causes things to fall into place. <clears throat> and then when we don't spend time with it, is it Him sabotaging our time and things in our life? Punishing us? No. It's the devil. It's that... One who entered into that space 
that we created. The one who's always looking for an opportunity to come in and thwart whatever plans of good that we might have. It's not God that enters in through that busy life. It's the devil. But it sure can cause us to lose our focus and to drift far behind him. And it robs us of intimacy with God, which is something that we really should crave all the time and not be willing to do without. Peace is from God. And it should be our umpire. When we don't have peace, we should never make a decision. I I was talking to my nephew last week, and he went down to buy him a new truck. And I said, well, let the the peace of God be your umpire. He said, I never have peace when I buy a new truck. (laughs) I said, well, you can. You can. Even then. The first one that tells you it's now or never, thank him and move on. Thank you, you just crossed yourself off my list. My God doesn't work that way. (laughs) How can we close the gap when we create this space? When we become aware of the distance between us and the Lord? The obvious answer, hurry up to join Him. Hurry up. You ever seen that movie Pulp Fiction? <laughs> Probably should have never watched it, but I watched that years ago. The that girl told uh, John Travolta a joke. He said there was Papa Tomato, Mama Tomato, and Little Baby Tomato, and they were and they were going somewhere, and Little Baby Tomato kept falling behind, and finally Papa Tomato got so fed up. He went back there, the little baby tomato, and he squashed him. And he said, catch up. I never forgot that. But we should just catch up. <laughs> Not be catch up, but <laughs> catch up. <laughs> Because following closely behind the Lord is going to help us to navigate this very, very difficult world. And without Him, it's a guarantee that we're going to face a lot of disaster and heartache, shipwreck, whatever you want to call it. We're going to get off course. And when you who belong to Him and have His Spirit and His nature in you and you're cultivating this salvation and your soul is being renewed, your mind is being renewed as you agree with what's happened inside of you. You can't do it without without Him. You can't do it at a distance. Not well. And we try. You know when we try the, the most is usually when things... when we. After periods of really being close with him and doing so great, and we get this, we're doing so awesome in our relationship with God, we just get the feeling sometimes that it, it was us that did that, and we just drift off. We were okay, we got this. I got it now, Lord. No, stay connected. <laughs> it's like a cell phone, you know? I got a full charge, I'm all right. Well, at the end of the day, if you left that charger at home, <laughs> you might not make it. 
<laughs> Might not make it. So you need to get your bearings, first of all. Determine when and, and where the distance began to, to form and how far apart you've drifted. Just like any relationship, the sooner you recognize the distance, the easier it is to adjust your pace and close the gap. Make sense? <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're following somebody and you, and you realize you've lost them, what's the first thing you do? Well, just say you're in a mall or something like that. You 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 too much space, and pretty soon, oh, it's Christmas time. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Let's just lay let aside the devices, but that's that's probably what you would do. But you, you want to remember the last place you did see them. This is one of the most important things. I talk about it all the time. If I've talked to any of you at length, it's, it's what I've recommended. When you, you're trying to hear God about something and you can't hear Him, you can't hear Him, you say you can't hear Him, and I'll, it won't take me long before I'll ask you, what's the last thing you know He did tell you? Where's the last time He showed up for sure? Go look in your journal. Go look in your prayer book. Tell me when you know the last time that you know you heard him. What what did he say? And if people can do that, a lot of times they'll come back and tell me, yep, that's what it was. I, I hadn't done that last thing that he told me to do. God is faithful. He is good. He doesn't change. He's amazing to us. We're always new levels of our relationship, new things we're knowing about Him, but it, that's not nothing, it's nothing new. We can know Him better and better and better and better and better. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases God. That means we can. Used to, they had to go talk to a priest about it, and get him to pray for them, and all that. Now... Everything about Christianity is about the personal relationship that we have. John 17, 3, Jesus was praying. He says, this is eternal life. In other words, this is the meaning. Everybody's out to find themselves. And it's all about me and finding myself and this and that. Jesus said, John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about relationship with our Creator and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Confess any sin. You don't have to go sit in a booth. You don't have to call me on the phone, although if you want to, you can. Because it's good for you, actually. I don't know about the, the booth part, but confessing your sin to one another is, is, a, is not a bad thing. But confess it to Him in the very least. Talk to Him about it and let Him lead you through it. If, you, if I sin against Tavana, if I'm, if I'm mean to her or ugly to her, or don't take the time that I need. Or just the example. 
If, if there's a problem between you two or you two, your daddy, not nice to you. If the sin between two people brings a barrier into that relationship, doesn't it? It's the same with us and God. And it's not that He's judged us or condemned us, but it affects us. Our conscience is the part in play here. And our conscience makes us act weird when it's not right with God. It does. We will, we will play the blame game. We will point fingers. We'll make excuses. We'll turn up the radio. We don't want to hear God. <laughs> But the best thing to do is just shut it all down. Get down on your knees and say, Lord, listen, I I really dropped the ball here. And I'm sorry. You know, I want to do things your way. And I realize this is not what I was doing here. And I don't want to do that anymore. That's the way I talk to him. You talk your way. Don't talk in the King James English. He's going to think you're silly. <laughs> Don't be surprised if he laughs at you in a good way, in a fun way. He's fun. Schedule regular time, and I'm almost done, but schedule regular time with the Lord. Keep that gap closed. He really is a creature of habit. I don't mean to call him a creature, but for lack of vocabulary here, he is a God who loves to meet us in the same place and time. It's not necessary. We can walk and talk with Him all day. He's with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But He likes for us to have a place where we meet with Him. If you do that over a period of time, you'll notice an anointing in that place. People will notice it when they walk through that room or whatever. Especially people who really uh, are familiar with His... Uh, anointing and the Holy Spirit. Um, I've had people walk in our house and go, oh, that's peaceful, you know. But it wasn't always like that. <laughs> We've had the opposite response too <laughs> years ago. But you never give up. You persevere. You press on. Because what what's the alternative? You know? This is like work, you know. People, people call me, or I call them. How you doing? Oh, I'm really busy, man. Well, it's a lot better than the alternative, you know. It takes about fifty hours. Let's say fifty-two hours. One hour for every week of the year to read the Bible. You can read it in fifty hours. People say, I, I've never read it. I know Christians that I would I, I wouldn't say the majority have never read the Bible through, although we should read it every year. Say, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have the motivation for it. I've tried. I just can't. Listen, it's a choice. I'm not condemning anyone, but we should be reading the Bible every year. You can you can sit down and binge watch three seasons of an episode of something that you love in a week or two. That's about 60 hours. And we claim we can't read the Bible. You know, that's 
It's just a choice, is all I'm saying. And so I want to encourage people to, to make sure that we're using every opportunity that we can. That we find a place to start meeting with him. Get you a war room. Get you, ever seen that movie? War Room? It's a great Christian movie. If you hadn't seen it, I recommend buying it. This woman, she, this old woman, she had a, a war room. And she taught this other young girl how to do it. And it saved her marriage and everything. But she had a little closet where she met and prayed and had scriptures in there and everything and just everything she was standing on and believing for and praying for and that's that was her war room she went to war in there against the devil not that we have to go and fight and win a battle that's already been won we got to be careful not to get into that one-on-one uh thing with the devil uh when really we just need to enter into that rest that jesus has provided Resting in the victory that's already been won. Knowing that. Trusting in what he's provided by grace. Resting. That's the, that's the Sabbath. That's why, that's why it don't matter if we have a blue law. I remember when we were kids, we couldn't buy shoes on Sunday. Most stores were closed. You couldn't buy law. You couldn't buy things. And, and then, you know, and church was on Sunday. And, and that's great. It is good to have a day of rest, but it's not. Now Jesus has fulfilled that Sabbath. He is that Sabbath day. We've entered, we struggle now to enter that rest that he has provided. He is that rest. His truth is that rest. The fact that by his stripes we are healed. Everybody that's sick amongst us, we are struggling to enter into that rest of believing and receiving the things that have been provided by grace, you see? The same way with prosperity. John 3, 2, God says, Beloved, I I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in good health. And the word for prosper and prosper there is is just what you think it is. It's, it's about finances. And be in good health. Even as thy soul prospers. There's a correlation there. If you remember. You should be well enough to teach it by now. But John. or 1 Thessalonians 5.23 establishes that we're three part beings. Spirit, soul, and body. That spirit was renewed. We can't, we can't discern anything about the spirit with our natural senses. Because it's not natural, it's spiritual. And God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. In this born-again spirit, we have the mind of Christ. The nature of God. But it's our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, our personality, that's being removed and renewed and transformed as we come into agreement with the truth that's in this Word with the help of the Holy Spirit who reminds us. Amen? So... Getting to that place where we just rest in our new identity in Christ. That we are blessed, we are prosperous, we are healthy and whole, redeemed and loved and all those things that we struggle with. The loved part is the hardest one, to be honest with you, for people. To believe that they're loved and accepted by God based on all the things that they've done in their life. Well, he's not basing his acceptance and love of you upon the things you've done in your life. Thankfully, he's basing it on the things that Jesus did in his. 
The last thing is to pledge to him and to yourself to go where he leads. That's our reasonable service to God. A lifelong journey with another person requires agreement on the route and the destination, doesn't it? Some believers have gotten away from Jesus' leadership. They've decided on a different direction for their own life, for their and because of that, for their kids' life and their career and their time and their priorities. As difficult as it may be, we have to tell the Lord that we want to follow Him more closely wherever He may lead. And instead of... It's like... It's like having two, check, two, two bank accounts when you're married. There may be very good reasons to do that. I don't know of one. I think it's always leaving yourself an option. <laughs> you may just have some partner that's just terrible with books and can't handle it. But it's like people that want to live together and not be married. They're leaving themselves an option. It's really more about them than it is that commitment. And God says it's not right. God says that's not love. Simple as that. It's the same way with Jesus. A lot of times we say, we're going to leave where you follow. Where are you going? (laughs) You, You put a big F in there, basically, without saying it out loud. I'm going to watch from a distance and see where you go. If I like it, I'm there. I'll be right behind you. <laughs> but he's saying, no, just trust me and just commit to me that you're going to follow wherever I lead, no matter what, because I know best. I see further. I love you more than you love yourself. I am trustworthy and faithful and good. And the sooner you believe that, the sooner you will commit to following me wherever I lead. Amen. Lord, thank you for this day and for your precious word. Help us to know you better, to trust you more, to persevere and persist in prayer and to do all the things that you would have us to do to follow you more closely, Lord, and not leave space, not leave opportunity for the enemy to fill the void. Help us to believe that wherever you lead, no matter what it looks like to us, it's always the best thing for us. So help us to sincerely, knowing that you're looking at our hearts and not just our words, Help us to get to the place where you give us the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart are in agreement with you and your desires. Help us to see that we can truly live in that place, a place of peace and rest in your finished work, knowing our true identity in you and embracing it and helping others to do the same. 
In Jesus' name, amen.